Welcome back. This is the Talking Footy Podcast, and each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Luke Darcy, and this week our guest is one of the most loved captains of the modern era, Bob Murphy. Had the great pleasure of playing alongside Bob at the Bulldogs for eight years. He first entered the club in the year 2000 as a then 17-year-old, I think. I might have to check this with the man himself in a minute. But fast forward to 2017, Murph has become a 300-game legend. He's still going super strong as a player and a captain. In this episode, I discuss with Bob his comeback from injury and the agonising decision he faced on whether to continue to play on. It's a pretty hard road back, but I've, I mean, I'm injured at the moment. But you know, before that, I was, I was, I was really loving it out there and felt like I could, I could still do it to a reasonable level. That moment at the grand final when Luke Beveridge presented him with his own premiership medal. I still don't know how to describe it. It was just, it was like all, all your emotions, um, sadness, pride, um, joy, relief. All that. It was just like they were all turned up to 10. The current state of the dogs and the whispers of a premiership hangover. You get protective of the footy club because essentially what they're, what they're attacking with um, threads of rumour and gossip and they're, what they're sort of attacking is the spirit of, of the team and the club and that I'll always get protective of that. And his tattoo that has provided plenty of laughs at the club. And Ben Hudson jumps up chases Paul, drags me down, chases Paul Roos, makes me take my top off in the middle of the Canberra airport <laughs> and Paul Roos says, isn't that great? Like, my players won't listen to me and you've got a tattoo off. <laughs> it was a horrible moment. Oh, I love it. We're talking footy. Welcome to Bob Murphy. Hello, Dars. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, I want to go back to 2000 and uh, the draft of 99 and it was an interesting time at the club because we lost um, probably some of the most loved players at the club at that time, Leon Cameron, um, who was you know a great mate of mine, but a great mate of everyone's. Brett Montgomery went out who, you know, people mightn't understand how important a person he was at the time. Steve Power was a much loved. And in come this group of 1999, uh, headlined by a young Rob Murphy, Daniel G in Syracuse, and Mitch Hahn, uh, Lindsay Gilby, Ryan Hargrave had a big impact. So it was a pretty big expectation on you and that group when you first walked in the door. What's your memory of that? Um, oh, it's it's funny. Like you, my memory of the time was one of just pure excitement. It was it was like um, it was like stepping into the TV. You know, I'd, I'd only watched watched you guys on TV, and I was living the the football the football fantasy of, of being at an AFL club. Um, I think we had a sense that um, I mean, there'd been the club had you know, been a, a couple of prelim finals and there was, I guess, the outside perception that the club was maybe going about to go through a rebuilding phase. But it's only now that I look back and think, well, we, we probably came into the into the club at a time of trauma of, of losing those those guys that you mentioned. So um I'm not sure if we, we felt the pressure to, to fill those to fill those boots, but you definitely felt, you know, a certain responsibility that um, you had to you had to get a, a wriggle on in your career. Well, if you didn't feel the pressure walking through the door, Scotty Clayton, our recruiting officer, <laughs> he added just an extra layer. And you know where I'm going with this because this is a conversation that we'll, I'll never forget. He went around, he grabbed a few of the seniors and he said, look, he might look like a great physical specimen, the boy from Warrigal Murphy, but he'll win two Brownlows. <laughs> That was a fair, uh, a fair line to put on you, mate. Before you even played a game. Well, there's still time because I know that I know that's where your next question, your next question. You owe us two, I, mate. I know. I You're know. two down. I mean, I've got to make a late charge this year and then hopefully go back to back. But um, yeah, no, that's a, 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 a pretty embarrassing 
a pretty embarrassing story to recall. But um, yeah, look, it was it was a pretty exciting time, um, and and I'm proud to say it's 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 never gotten blasé. You don't you know I've never gotten blasé about playing playing for the club or playing in the game. It's still you know it's still a thrill. Um, you delivered a fair bit that draft. The Gia, Mitch Hahn, Ryan Hargrave, Lindsay Gilb, as I said, and yourself have gone on to be, uh, you know, iconic players uh, of, of the club. Um, the friendships from, from that group, did that follow all the way through? I know that you and Gia are, are very close. Yeah, they have, Darcy. And we're, I mean, it's kind of a, a microcosm of what footy clubs are, that just that, that group of draftees that I, I came in with, you're sort of thrown together, different personalities, different parts of Australia, different styles of footy and you just that there is something um that that meeting point of of the game and and the club is very special and it's such an influential time in your life um you know 17 to to 30 um and so there's just such a warmth um you know I don't see those guys most weeks but there's still a warmth um, whenever whenever we see each other I want to talk family a little bit at the great pleasure of uh Mum and Dad uh, meeting them right from the start. John and Monica Murphy, who were at the club and they were at your first jumper presentation. And, yeah, I feel like they didn't miss a game in the early days. Um, no, they still how, haven't, no. How are Mum and Dad? Because at 35 years of age, they've been around a, a long time. I get the sense it's maybe going to be harder for them, you know, when uh, when you finish the new. I, <laughs> I think that might be <laughs> – I think that might be bang on, actually, Darce, that talk about not getting blasé. When, when I talk to them about – because uh, they they still they want to they go every week and they want to know about um, who's mates with who and the connections amongst the <laughs> the players and past players. Um, but it, for the, it, when I talk to them, I'm kind of always amazed that for them it's like I'm still a draftee. It's not. <laughs> it's not. They don't sort of walk into the football in a swan in you know to after match functions. They <laughs> they walk in very kind of sheepishly, like they just yeah they they love the association and um and they you know they ride the bumps. They're brilliant people, mate, and it's a credit to you and, and your whole family and your sister and your brother and you've got nieces and nephews uh, left, Everywhere. right and centre. like mice. <laughs> they breed well, the Irish. we uh, good. The Irish Catholics, mate, they're everywhere. Mum was one of how many? Mum was one of 14, yeah. yeah. And uh, and Dad? Dad was one of two, but his brother then had 10. <laughs> we had, we had, a, um, we had a, a, a family reunion on Mum's side and it was in a... It was in like a, a national park in up near Bendigo, and it looked like a music festival. <laughs> it was just the it was Irish just hippies, pale, skinny, <laughs> pale people uh, everywhere. And it's the stuff of legend, mate. That mum and dad met uh, as mum, you know, dad was a priest and mum was uh, a nun at that at that yeah. stage. Is that still part of your of your roots? Is the Catholicism still part of you, or, or where where have you ended up with all that? Um, oh, I think. I think that mum and dad's love story of them uh, leaving the um, leaving their religious orders is kind of the central point of our family. It's kind of, I think, growing up, that was kind of what made us different to other families in our town. And, um, yeah, there's definitely a, uh, I just, well, I don't know if you want to call it a spiritual element, but, no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, a bit of a lapsed, lapsed Catholic these days, but definitely the, you know, the sense of... Um, community and storytelling that's that's something that I probably I probably get that from the footy club nowadays was it talked about a lot growing up was it part of you know Warrigal was a fairly small town and the, I think uh, it, I don't think it was very well known until I think the local paper ran a story about it and then it became then it became kind of a thing that <laughs> local legend yeah and at the, and look at the time we're teenagers 
I, I was probably preteen, and we were, you know, honestly, we were kind of a bit embarrassed, like, oh, you know, this is embarrassing that people all of a sudden, you know, you're different. You sort of, um, and as as you grow older, you you kind of grow up, and and that's something that you know I'm incredibly proud of that that mum and dad, you know, their story. It's 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 unlike any other that I can think of. And now you've got your own uh, family, married to the beautiful Justine. You went to school together. Yeah, we, yep. Justine was a, a year older. Yeah, we went to school together. And uh, three beautiful children, two uh, two girls, and uh, and Jarvis, Frankie, and Delilah. What what sort of dad are you? How, how could you could you sum that up for me in a few um, words? I I'd like to think I'm affectionate. Um, I don't know what sort of dad I'm like. I just sort of like sitting with them and doing keeping what they're interested in. Um, but. I mean, it's lucky because they're, they're not interested in football at all, really. They barrack for the Bulldogs. That's kind of a rule in our house. But we just kind of do the normal stuff, play on the trampoline, wrestle each other, and and I, you know, embarrass them from time to time. That's kind of <laughs> the holy trinity of, of fatherhood. I, uh, I was, you shared a great story with me a while ago, and I was talking about the devastation of my youngest, uh, Max, when you did your knee, and he went to show and tell, and <laughs> he wanted to talk about Bob Murphy and burst into tears, but... Your own son Jarvis was was more worried about about what when that moment happened. Yeah, well, he um he because I was a few games short of the three hundred milestone, and he didn't want to run out in the ground. And the only way he was why gonna, didn't he want to do that? He, well, and he just doesn't like his thing. No. Doesn't like the attention. He really wasn't up for it. And we said, um, if you <laughs> we tried to bargain, well, he tried to bargain with us. He goes, oh, if I if I do it, I want a I want a big you know a Lego settlement. So we'd sort of promised this big shipment of Lego if he ran out onto the ground for the 300. And then he was upset after I'd hurt my knee and he was really down, which he doesn't get down ever. And Justin's like, you know, it's okay, Dad, I'll be okay. It's not what it is. Do I still get my Lego? <laughs> oh, I love that. It is one of the great stories. Most kids would give their right arm to be on an AFL field and yeah. uh, and Jarvis. You, you can't manufacture passion in them, no. can you, Murph? It's, that's what they are into. Yep, and you're either supported or... Or, uh, or they won't support no, you back. No, that's it. He's, you know, he's only he's only nine, Jarvis, but he's his own man. He knows what he's into, and he look. He loves he's you know he loves the bulldogs and and he loves his family. But he's the idea of being center stage in front of all those people. He's like, nah, give it to someone else. Whereas Frankie, she's up there. Not enough cameras. <laughs> um, is he a muso, Jarvis? The, the son? No, a... but he's got a creative bent. He, yeah. he he draws and builds stuff, and he's a he's a bit of a nature freak. Um, into into anything animal related. That's kind of our bonding thing. We sit down and watch David Attenborough. That's our father son. Because one of your great passions has been music, and um, you know I uh, discovered that in the early days, <laughs> driving you to training um, from your very first moment. I think yeah, you picked you up did. from your yep. sister's uh, house days. and and gave you a lift, and you were a bit um, bemused by my choice of a CD collection. No, at the no, time. it was good. You it happy was, with that? But I, I, it's funny whenever a bit like the sense of smell takes you straight back to a certain time. Just recently, you'll be pleased to know, the boys have been playing the Californication album from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the gym, and I just have to smile and shake my head and think, I reckon we listened to that on repeat to and from Bulldogs training in, when I first got drafted. But that again, that, that brings back really... That brings back really nice memories for me, and you were you were kind enough to you were kind enough to pick me up, and you know for a draftee without getting too um, melodramatic about it, it is it's a it's a really uh, a special thing, and certainly got you in the good books with mum and dad. They think you are just it and a bit. Well, I love that from John. It's as high <laughs> praise as you can get to be uh, to be in with the Murphy uh, clan, and uh, great memories for me too. And they were big, the Chili Peppers, uh, <laughs> at that stage. It's a great album. 
Uh, life ends up being a collection of moments and your music uh, um, taste led you to your first tattoo, Murph, which gave a great deal of amusement for us. Uh, <laughs> when you arrived at training, you're probably always going to go down that path. And I haven't seen it for a while, mate. We haven't been, haven't shared a shower with you for a while, but it, it was Elvis, but we thought it looked eerily like Paul Roos. Has, yeah. Has it, has it aged well? Uh, well, I'll let you be the judge. I know that, I know that doesn't make good for It's more Elvis than I ever thought, actually. Yeah, okay. well, I'll, I'll have to take that back. But well, maybe we... it's faded well. But yeah, <laughs> the, I, I'm not sure if I've told you this story, but that was the boys used to, you know, as you've alluded to, get stuck into me about it looking more like Paul Roos. And, and we were at the airport and we'd played Sydney and Canberra. So both teams were at the airport and I was sat next to Paul Roos in the airport lounge and I was just waiting. I thought someone will twig here, someone will twig. And then uh, Ben Hudson, after after Sydney had got up to leave and Paul Roos is down the, trying to get on his plane and, and Ben Hudson jumps up chases Paul, drags me down, chases Paul Ruse, makes me take my top off in the middle of the Canberra airport. <laughs> and Paul Ruse says, isn't that great? Like, my players won't listen to me and you've got a tattoo off. <laughs> it was a horrible moment. Oh, I love it. Now, no one for me, Murph, and this is what I loved about you, almost from the moment I met you, the idea of history, the idea of significance. Um, Charlie Sutton was still there giving a handshake at the at the moment you arrived in the in the club and the legend of, of EJ. You love the history. You weren't necessarily, you know, lost in, in the history, but you know, for someone from Warrigal with no real attachment, grew up a Richmond supporter, it felt like the moment you were there, you, you got this sense of how brilliant the club was and it's it stayed with you all the way through. Yeah, well I, I, I have sort of grown up in footy clubs and I love them and I you know, if I ever go into any footy club I kind of find myself drawn to the old the photo walls of team photos I, I just love the old stories that's what that's what I love about footy clubs the handing down of of stories and the the respect for the elders element I think about it um and I I just know when I got to the Bulldogs um I just had that a little moment and I was a you know pretty green bit of a daydream but I had that moment of clarity saying oh, I don't want to leave until I'm a Bulldogs player and and then when you listen to to John Schultz he spoke to our our group of draftees about about the history of the club, um, about his time here, about what it means to him. Those, those things were like just planting little seeds um, in the you know in the consciousness of of, of young blokes, and, and I I just lapped that up, and you know I don't claim to to know any more about the footy club than you do, but I've just got an insatiable appetite for the stories and the characters and the people um, that you know have have made our club the one it is the one that it is. I uh, read an article um, Patrick Dangerfield wrote the other day and it was a really well-written piece. It was in support of Alex Fasolo and the courage that it took to come out. And then he mentioned his own struggles with football as, as an all-time great player, much the same as you. And I immediately thought of you and I thought, you know, from the moment you're unbelievably capable, you've been an All-Australian captain, you're 300 games, your legacy on-field is as, as good as it can get. But you've wrestled week in, week out as much as anyone I've, I've seen the play the game can you mm. can you explain that um yeah well I think it's a it's a it's a big shock to the system I think when you play the game as a kid and it's it's purely in the moment and once it's done it's gone and there's there's a real enjoyment to that and I think the harsh reality of being a professional footballer is you play the game and then it's it's not done. It's everything's critiqued, everything's magnified. And I think I struggled with that, certainly in the early days of everything being critiqued, everything being judged, marked, um, and not just on the footy field, it was uniform, punctuality. Whereas, you know, I was, as a kid, I had, no, I had no, I don't think I owned a watch. I had no need for a watch. And all of a sudden <laughs> you're in, 
I, you know, early on I used to call it, it was like the army with more colorful uniforms because, and I found it very restrictive. Um, so, and that's, that's 18 years ago. So I, I kind of worry when I, when young kids come in now, cause I, I know it's such yeah. a shock to the system because those elements of it have just, if anything, just gone up and up. So I think, I, I think I just took a little while to find my space in that. Um, and you know, you find little ways of just creating a little bit of space for yourself. And, and I think for my own, the, I, I've always loved playing, but I've, I've really grown to not just, um, not just adapt to the, the daily grind, but I've, I love it. I yeah. really enjoy, I enjoy that as much as I enjoy the game. I like, um, yeah, I like the, I like the repetitive nature and, but I think definitely writing about footy for the age gave me a creative space that um, helped me um, sort of just, I don't know, sit, sit in it, sit in the uncomfortable nature of the game. Hi, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Trent Cotchin. That was the moment that it all came to a head and tears were even shared. So I've done a lot of thinking from... Post-season, we were obviously disappointed with the year that we had put together. <laughs> Jimmy Bartel. And then, to make it even worse, I, I got out of the club, I got home, my phone starts ringing, it's Bomber. He'd forgotten to spray me a few things, so I was at home. <laughs> he's giving me another serve. I'm at home. And he's giving it to me. He's making me nervous over my dinner. And Nick Nat. I thought we were still in the mindset where I was still grieving. So I remember the grand final parade pretty vividly and I remember sitting there in the back of the motor car and everyone's cheering and excited and the half of WA is there. But for me, it was just a, an empty feeling. I um, I didn't really want to be there and I remember sitting in the hotel room. I had probably got about two hours sleep before the, the AFL grand final. Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to Das and Bob Murphy. I've got this image of you now picking you up, probably on the horn out the front. You were running late. I would have been, you know, stressing, got to get to training on time. And you coming out, sometimes without a bag even. In fact, I think the first couple of times I picked you up, you didn't have a bag. And I went, mate, do you want to maybe get some boots or a, or a try? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. You might have been barefooted or you were, you were a hippie kid, weren't you? Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, I was, um, I was <laughs> pretty, I was pretty, uh, I mean, laid back's one way, but I was, um, yeah, hippie. Yeah, I was pretty bohemian, sort of, sort of. It was a pretty loose schedule I'd come from. This is where I think people don't understand you. And I, you know, people ask me about you a lot, you know, when you work full time in, in the media and other people, what's what's Murph like? And I'd say... Charming. <laughs> yeah, there's an element of that. Uh, the hippie part, you're a great lefty, got a social conscience, you're humanitarian, but don't underestimate how brutal you can be and how competitive... You can't play at the level you have without being unbelievably competitive. That's well hidden below this persona, but uh, you know, we saw that very, very clearly right from the start. So you flicked that switch um, very, very quickly into game on and, 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 and can go on the sledge when required as well. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I had older brother and older sister, so it was, um, it was a pretty tough household to, to, um, to, to come up in. Just in, you know, it was, we just were into everything, basketball, footy, and it was very, very competitive and, and that's, but footy is brutal and, and I kind of, you know, I revel in that as well. You know, the, it's as much about, um, ever, it's, a, it's an industry of criticism and it's so competitive, but it's so much about how, how you can respond to challenges and that's a bit of a throwaway line. But um, I think when I, 
when I reached the milestone, 300 games last year, the thing that that was the thing I was most proud of is that you've there's got to be a certain amount of resilience to get there, and you know, kind of in in my own heart, I guess maybe kind of answered that. Well, your ability to sledge leads me into a, a topic we need to discuss. And I think you know, I'm going to give you first. Reason, this is the only reason why I'm here. To finally, once and for all, we need to have this out, Murph. I don't think we've ever done it face to face. I'm going to let, let you have first go and then uh, I, I'd like to take right of reply. But uh, there was an incident. There was an incident. Um, you know, some would say that it wasn't great. But um, talk about the moment that I knocked you out cold in training. <laughs> Murph, I want to hear your side well, first. Well, okay, I'll, I'll quickly paint the picture. It was Rodney had taken over from from Peter Road, and the general the general view is that we had a list of six superstars, veterans, and a bunch of young kids who needed to be toughened up. In that preseason, that we had a practice match intra club amongst ourselves. Unbeknownst to me, <laughs> I was not privy to this. If I had been, things would have been a lot different. But Rodney Ede, the tyrant took you and Scott West aside in a secret meeting and said, start off a bit of, in, in, you know, in inverted commas, start off a bit of trouble today. Now, I didn't know anything about that. First bounce of the practice match, I found a bit of a sore spot for you that I'd picked up on that you, that a few of the, you know, Liber and Jose had called you Bambi a few times because you had a, you, you get well your turn, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bit of a tendency to fall over with your long limbs sort of flailing everywhere. And I started, you know, you were on the other team and I started to sort of niggle you about being Bambi and you're soft and you're no good. And uh, the game went on, the ball went down one end. They were kicking the ball back in from a point kick in. And then all of a sudden for me, the lights went out. <laughs> now, do you want to pick up... Do you want to well, pick up the story? I'd, I'd like to pick holes in that, but that is eerily <laughs> accurate. I, I have to, I have to say. But I, I remember the message saying, you know, it was direct, more direct than start trouble. Start a fight, and I want to see how they respond. I'm thinking, how do I start a fight in intra club? I and mean, this is, and then you piped up, <laughs> and it was you in uh, the skinny flanker. And, and I can remember, you know, oh here he is, oh Bambi. <laughs> And I think you might have even said that, you know, you've given me the pulled out of the last contest in an intra club. So that was the thing. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll give him one round the ribs and, um, and that'll, you know, that won't take a bit of wind out of him and that'll be fine. But your peripheral vision was good enough that you sensed the swinging arm and you ducked, you could not have ducked into it. And the noise it made was like the sweetest knockout you've ever heard. At which point... I just remember being in total. It lights out. Like, and literally, if that was, you'd have to get eight weeks for that act. It was just disgraceful. It was, it was nothing short. But then, at the moment, Rodney Ede's eyes just popped out of his head. He, he looked at me <laughs> and like, you're a, a psychopath. More than, he, a <laughs> a more than he'd bag, bargained for. lunatic. And then I had to go on with it because Will Minson came over and I threatened to knock him out next as well, which <laughs> in hindsight was uh, a little over the top. But then I still remember, and this was funny, because you, when you did come to and you were out, Yep. You went in and <laughs> I think you're asking what happened. And uh, it might have been Simon McCall, our long-term physio, pointed in my direction. And no, you, were, you know what? I actually knew. Did like, you? You I knew it was me, I did woke you? up and I instinctively, I knew. I knew I'd mouthed off at you <laughs> and then I turned around, I ran away and then I was out and I knew it was, I knew, I thought, I just knew, Darcy's has knocked me out. Oh, no. And I went straight into the locker room and I grabbed a big blue texter <laughs> and I climbed up on your locker under the number 14 and just wrote, coward. <laughs> And you know what? That stayed there until my last game. And it made me laugh every day. Like I literally had to come back and see that every day and I deserved it. So, I mean, I probably should apologise. 
Oh, well, I mean, what was it? It's, it's 13 years ago. Is that ago. long ago, is it? It's 13 years ago. Well, it's been the stuff yeah. of uh, legend. I've I waited think it, a long time for that. Apology. I think it, <laughs> probably a little hollow now. <laughs> a flashback. Mate, and that led into a great tradition we used to have, and this is where you did excel. Talk us through the darts game, which was uh, an end-of-season ritual that we had somehow um, evolved at that time. Through boredom, which so much so many good things come out of boredom, but yeah, it was on a. It was on and a you made it your own. <laughs> um, you and an old mate of ours, Ben Harrison, made. Explain yeah. that one for us. Well, it was we were, we were on a, a footy trip to um, in New Zealand, and we we must have been a bit bored, and we we had we just started a drinking game of you throw a dart at the board, and if you everyone had a, a number, and if you hit that, you had, you could you know have them have, take a take a swill of their drink, and but what quickly evolved was that. Whoever stood up to the line and had the dart in their hand, as they sort of slowly aiming it, it just be it was like a it was like a peer assessment that predated leading teams, but it was the most vicious, vile, personal, outrageous, att- outrageous, nonsensical uh, abuse, really. Um, but and you you quickly realise you either quickly throw your dart or get out of there or just take your time. Take, absorb it. Absorb it and then make sure you fight fire with fire. <laughs> I think the low point of that uh, game was was Chris Grant was so offended at one point. He threw a dart. Just threw it blindly. Th- into the crowd. Into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> nearly, might have nearly taken Nathan. Yeah, it just found its way into the chipboard wall. They're funny the things that uh, that you remember looking back over that many years. Uh, Nath Brown was an interesting uh, character, a great mate of uh, yours and a, and a great mate of, uh, of mine. What are your thoughts when you look back and think about him? Because he... He was one that uh, perhaps gravitated to you early days. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I think that when you look back, because there's so many, so many guys you play with, and just such a wild mix of characters. Nathan just is a character. I don't. I really don't usually abide by the idea that. Um, oh, you have to get to know someone. Oh, he's In a fact, good guy. It's one of the you, things you hate, isn't it? I actually? hate, I you hate, hate that. that. Oh, yeah. you, you have to get to know yeah. him. It's like, well, no, why? You yeah. You're either, you know, you're either a good. You're a decent person or you're not. And if, if you can't hit it off or you don't hit it off. But I'll make an exception <laughs> with Nathan Brown because he's he's funny, but he's not tell your jokes funny. Nah. Just, just the way he is, even the way he walks, just the way he fixes his hair in the mirror. He's just he's an unusual character, but he um he he does make me laugh and there's there's sort of a lot he'd kind of have you believe that he's very very shallow and he does a pretty good job of that but there's a bit more depth to him than that there's a bit more heart than uh, there's a bit than, more heart than yeah. your first uh, there's one story that just springs to mind and uh, I wonder if you remember it but we used to have an annual ball and we got <laughs> belted uh, that day Do you remember smashed it? by Carlton and yep. Terry Wallace was the coach and he has given one of the all time post game sprays that was yeah well I got he stabbed me with my own knife that was the line wasn't that it was that yeah. so what was the what was you, you, you've there got was, a better memory yeah, for me. No, than there this. was there was a you'll like this because it puts you in glowing terms. Might have been we, got, we, got, we, we got belted and we walked into the change rooms and on the whiteboard was two lists of players under the headings conscript or volunteers. And I was under conscript, didn't know what it meant, thought that sounds pretty good. <laughs> sounds <laughs> almost just dis- so it almost sounds distinguished. Though. I actually didn't think I played that well, but and then you start to look down the names who you're next to, and I thought, trouble. I'm this is not good. <laughs> And he worked his way down. There's this army theme. And you were in the volunteer. You Because you'd volunteered for battle. You had all your honour. Um, and then it got to the got to the conscripts. We were made to go to war. We didn't want to. We were made to. And then he got, and I was the last one, and he got to me. And I was sitting on the floor in front of him. And I was only 18, scrawny. 
and he said to me, he goes, um, Murph, your opponent got your own, got your knife out of your hands and stabbed you with it. And then he stepped up towards me and went, bang, you're dead and motioned this knife into my skull. It was, and then that night we had our ball. So it was, I was a bit that was, flat. That was a set scene for annual yep. ball and you could not have got a flatter night. We've yep. all been pasted. I think he might've one of our teammates said when the war started, you ran off over yeah, the hill and deserted. Yeah. That, there was other guys that were MIA. I think Kingsley Hunter was. He might've been on the receiving. It was as creative a spray as you get, but with ages. a nastiness in it, as you could imagine. So yep. we're sitting at this function, uh, having dinner, Maybe sneaking a couple of beers in, but very, very miserable setting. Yeah. And uh, Nath Brown, and this is something I'll never forget because it sums yep. him up. Uh, there were a, a bit of confectionery on the table. Columbines. You know, those hard toffees. It was effectively like a rock. It was a rock. Yep. And someone, you know, in their wisdom has said, there's the coach, good 30 metres away, 25 tables away. We'll put some money on the table. You wouldn't hit the coach with that. Now, I don't think this story's ever been told because – this they is, had a special relationship, uh, Brownie and Plough, as, as you well yeah, remember. Yeah, they were tight, yep. And, um, and this sums Brownie up for me. The, the, he took aim without hesitation. He lobbed the first one. He oh, okay. There was, was, was a warning shot, was there? It was a warning shot. He so lobbed it up that. and it was reasonably close and we thought, funny, good, good do attempt, but don't do that again. P- particularly <laughs> me, thinking I'm on thin ice here. I've just had my, you know, I've been stabbed by the coach in a theatrical <laughs> performance two hours ago. And then he, he grabbed another one. And he rocked onto his back foot. And he's a multi-talented sportsman, Nathan. He's a freak like that. And he let go of this. And as soon as he let go of that toffee, it was always it just straight that's hit him. And it smashed into the side of his head. And there was all like a sniper had shot was, him. It was, yeah. And he, he then marched out of that he function. Mar- he marched out. Yeah. And uh, courageously, none of us <laughs> ever put our hand up and admitted that story. It's taken <laughs> until uh, until now, move. Hey. What do you get when you cross a news journal, three retired footy players and a comedian? It's the kick. I think you fell in love over the summer. I fell in love Thursday night. Who with? Dustin Martin. Oh, I'll fight you for On Saturday night, join Luke Darcy, Matthew Richardson, Cameron Ling, Sam Lane and Richmond tragic Mick Malloy. It's a goal! For a show with a difference. It's been overturned and it is a point. Well, who said it was a goal? (laughs) It's The Kick, every Saturday night, live and free on the channels of Seven. Could I snap back into um, into, into current footy and your decision to come back? You turned 35 uh, a number of days ago and the decision to go on after that grand final. How... How much of a wrestle for for you was that, or were you always going to do it? Uh, oh no, no, it was a it's it was a wrestle. Um, uh, it took a long time to long time to come around to the idea. I was almost the last one to come around to the idea, actually, um, because you know just my age and and the nature of the injury, and you've gone through a couple of them, and you know how hard it is to come back. So I wrestled with it for for a long time. Ninety seconds left. Oh no! Murphy's done a knee in that. In that twist under the ball. Wonderful oh. right by Bruce. Oh, something's not right. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, the face, I think, told a big story. To your point, Dennis, even if the dogs won today, they'd lose now. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty hard road back, but I've I mean I'm injured at the moment, but you know before that I was I was I was really loving it out there and felt like I could I could still do it to a reasonable level. Form was incredible. Your ability to yeah, recover I felt, I felt pretty good was in, uh, and amazing. It's always been that with with you, the, the you know the speed and your agility and the ability to attack the ball. So how how long an injury setback is this for you? And you're uh, confident you'll be okay. This it shouldn't be too. I mean I I should miss one more and then be back for back for West Coast. So it was just a you know a pretty a pretty standard pretty standard hammy. So yeah. I'm looking for once I get back to to get back into it. And the roller coaster of footy continues, Murph. Uh, the highs of uh, of last year. I want to ask you about that and and how you dealt with that in a second. And now. Um, the Bulldogs lose a couple in a row, and yeah. uh, and the world of footy media is is circling, <laughs> and uh, there's a number of everyone wants to talk about player infighting, and uh, how do you respond to that? Because that's current today. Does that still annoy you, or uh, do you just sort of it's part of? So it annoys you. you. You get protective of the footy club because essentially what they're what they're attacking with um, threads of rumor and gossip, and they're what they're sort of attacking is the spirit of, of the team and the club. And that I'll always get protective of that. Yeah. That's the most precious thing um, at the footy club. And so when, when people attack it, you just get defensive about it. But there's also an element of it's just our turn at the moment that it's pretty rare you get through a footy season without a, without going through a bit of a trough. And we're, we're in ours at the moment. So um, been here a few times, a few too many times than what you would like. But... We'll get out of it. These, it's a, yeah. it's a good footy team. We've got you know, got the best coach in the league, and uh, you know, hopefully this week we we get ourselves back out of it. Ask you about that coach and that moment, Murph, which will be one of it will be one of the great moments in in AFL football. You were standing there. Um, I want to ask you about the emotions of Grand Final day, and then the coach decides he's going to give you his medal. How did you handle that? Um, did you know it was coming? Uh, you know what. Uh, he said he did say to me. He said, oh, "Do you mind if I get you up on stage?" And I, with with all that was sort of going on, I I just sort of thought I meant uh, once the boys get the cup and I'll I'll go up and you know join them for a photo or whatever. Um, so I shouldn't I shouldn't have been as shocked as as what I was because it, it really caught me off guard and I barely sort of hear it. Just heard the crowd go go yeah. crazy. Um, I was. People, yeah, I, I still don't know how to describe it. It was just, it was like all, all your emotions, um, you know, sadness, pride, um, joy, relief, all that. It was just like they were all turned up to ten. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I'll probably, I'll, I think I'll probably spend a lifetime trying to, trying to really make sense of it all. But it, it, you know, what it probably speaks more to, more to Luke and what his style of coaching and and how he. Even in those, it, in a moment like that, he was still thinking about other people. Um, so yeah, he's a he's a pretty special man in my life. Before we go, I'd like to get Bob Murphy up on the stand. You got a pretty special friendship. It's uh, it's you know one of the great connections I think I've seen. You didn't have probably much to do with him before he arrived. No, no I'd met him a couple of times, but yeah, you know, hadn't described him for us and 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 your friendship. Um, it's all that's that's probably the hardest. It's probably the question I get asked the most, and it's probably the hardest question is to describe uh, Luke Beveridge 
in a sentence because like all of us, we're all, um, you know, we're all pretty complex, but he more than anyone, because as soon as I start to describe him as um, emotional, um, a storyteller, uh, affectionate, um, passionate, he's all of those things. But then you can, I start to hear myself going, yeah, but he's also um, very calm, calculated, process driven, accountable. Like he worked for the, he worked for the tax department. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, um, so he's, he, he, he's balanced. That's how he's just, he's probably the most balanced person I've met in footy. Yeah. It's a great way to, to describe someone who's, who's very hard to describe, but current friendships and relationships. Do you find that at 35 now? Cause I was obviously a bit, uh, down the path when, when you arrived, do you enjoy that you know you have these relationships now with the next generation, and and how are you going with the the seventeens and eighteen year olds? Yeah, it's it's fun. It is it is really different, and there's there's t- there's times, and I think about that a lot. I think about how you guys must have felt when when I when we my generation was sort of starting out, because there is just that such a big age gap. But I can sometimes sit in our locker room at the moment, and just listen to our boys talk, and I can't follow the conversation most of the time because they have a diff- they have another language. And I, they make me laugh, but I most of the time don't really know what they don't really know what, and they are they're a pretty loose bunch. Not really sure what they're talking about most of the time. But the the, the friendships are they're just as important in my life, but they're just different. They're just different. You you're kind of more of a it is more of that mentor sort of, um, and it is it's it's their time and it's it's their it's their it's their change rooms. Put it that way, that I'm kind of there and you you, you observe and. <laughs> You know, you hear, if, you know, you throw in a bit of advice or try and keep up with them sometimes. But really, it's they're they're the energy force in the in the club at the moment, and we're and Boydie and myself and Dale Morris and those guys, we're there to sort of facilitate and just keep the train on the tracks. To me, that was the great thing, and and you know, you move on to the next part of your life pretty quickly when it when it ends. But um, it's the connections and the friendships that have brings a smile to your face, and don't always you know pick up the phone, but you know. You, you sit alongside from someone that you shared so much time yeah. with. That to me, that I look back on that as 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 the great joy of of, of the whole experience. Well, it's such an intense, unusual time being in a football. Yeah. And now that I'm sort of coming to the end, you you start to appreciate just how just how unique it is. And um, yeah, there's there's that there's that warmth and camaraderie of, of just what you go through, the ups and the downs, and and all the drama of it all. A lot of players go through as you get to the end and, you know what, football was great, but there's so much more to me and, and you've got so much more, you know, things going on in your life and family and other great passions and you've never been defined by footy. But then a lot have a year out and they go, geez, the most fun I have was playing footy. I'm working with Chris Judd at the moment, yeah. who was arguably the most boring AFL football in terms of us working in the media. He is as loose and funny. I get the feeling we might see a bit of that with you where we might be surprised what we get from you uh, when it's all done. Well, yeah. I mean, it was only a few years ago that I thought, you know, once the once because we were going, we were so going no good. And I thought once once the once the club sort of turns around, we start going a bit better. You know, then I'll I'll just sort of drift out. And you you realise that you it's just not that easy to let go. And when I was out for all of last year, um, it was it was a real battle because I just I missed I missed it so much because you're there you are there but you're not right inside it you're there you kind of you're watching you don't have those physical elements of um, you don't have that tension of walking up the race with the boys you know at two o'clock on a Saturday it's, it's a different it's a different feeling and um, once it's once it's gone um, it's it's you know it's an ache that I think 
I think you, you you never really you never really feel. Just having a mind drift back, Murph, to having a beer with you in Bali. At a, a, I'm jumping around, but at a great time of crisis, and we were catching up for a beer. And uh, I think uh, Daniel Jean Syracuse were there, and Brett Montgomery were both either playing or working at the club. And, and news came through that the captain Ryan Griffin was going to move, that the coach uh, had been sacked, or maybe that it happened was, yeah, about to about yeah. to happen. But we're having a beer and having a laugh as you always do. And then I remember just your eyes sort of snapping at one point, and you turn around, and I'm not sure if you remember this, but you said, "Mate, I got to be captain." I've got to stand up. And that's classic you for me is that, you know, there's the fun and the, and the, but that sense in you that it was your time to stand up because it wouldn't have been something in the past that you would have probably nah, wanted to do. No, I'd never, it had never been a, a real burning ambition for it. Maybe the odd daydream, but I'd never thought that I was sort of the best person for it. So when I think everyone has that a bit of a, or most players do that you want, you want to leave the club in a better position than you found it. And at that point, my, you know, I was 32 and, you know, coming to the end and we were an absolute, well, I mean, we were the laughing stock of the league and that, that really burnt, um, in my stomach and I don't know it burnt for a lot of, for a lot of us. And that, that's when it kind of snapped me into action of, okay, it's time to, time to step up to the front line and, and take on, take on as much responsibility as I possibly can. And, and the last three years of, you know, they've, it's been a mixed bag, but it's been, it's been the greatest ride in my, in my footy life. Now, Murph, uh, we're going to uh, fire a few quick ones uh, oh, at you here, yeah, mate. So I'm going to put you under the pump and no long-winded dances on these ones, please, mate. Uh, the best player at the Bulldogs you've played with? Uh, Chris Grant. I feel a little bit slighted, <laughs> but uh, we'll move on. He is the greatest, the big unit. Yeah. Who's the best player that you've played against? Best player that I've played against? Um, I think Andrew McLeod would be, have to be right up there. Best advice you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given? Hmm. I don't know who said it, but someone said in footy that it's, things are never as bad as they seem and things are probably never as good as they seem. I like it. Now, the biggest lie the media have ever told about you? <laughs> the biggest... Um, well, this is some... I get pretty strong feedback from my wife, but whenever anyone calls me laid back... She says, you've got the whole world bluffed. <laughs> so I am quite highly strung. Last time you cried? Uh, last time I cried wouldn't have been that long ago. Uh, when was it? It would, have been, it would have been day. It would have been in the last couple of weeks. You are an emotional type. Yeah. Movies yep. get you still? Yep. Or? yep. Kids? Yep. Whole package? Yep. Anytime the kids sort of show a bit of resilience, you know, if they fall off their bike and get up, I <laughs> can't believe it. How about uh, in 20 years' time, what's Robert Murphy going to be doing? Um, what am I going to be doing? I, I, I don't know. I hope to be um, – I think I'll still be in footy somehow, which, I mean, when I was a lot younger, that probably surprised you. But, yeah, I, I love it. And I love writing about it. I love talking about it. I just like – I like the stories. I like footy yarns and the characters. And if you could change one thing about footy, you've got the magic wand, what, what would you do? Uh, I actually, I think, I actually think footy's in pretty good shape. I'd love them. To, I'd love the rules just to sort of, just to for the game to settle a bit for the next five years. Just have it no, no more change. Just let it settle. But if I wanted to change one thing, it would be I would, I would loosen up the rules around the two ruckmen. No, okay, third, no third man in to, to contest the ruck. But I, I want to see the two biggest blokes just rip each other apart. Go head to head. Yeah, like if you get them, if they get each other in a headlock, okay, pay a free kick, but yeah. no, nothing too 
want to see the big boys go at it. I like it, Murph. When I think of uh, our great club, and it's meant uh, so much to me, but I sincerely mean this, mate, and I, and I have said this before, but I think of the great EJ, and I think of great Charlie, and I the pleasure of you know, spending time with them both, and Johnny Schultz and what he means, and I'm with you with Chris Grant in our era, and never played him unlike him, but I think of you as the great custodian of the modern era, and I just feel like the red, white, and blues through your veins, and I can't imagine the place without you being uh, part of it. I hope that, that you're there for a long time to come, mate. Right, that's, uh, that means a lot. Thanks very much, mate. We're talking footy.